Welcome to episode 18 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. So Hillary, tell me about your week. Well, you know, it's quarantine, you know, the worst. Oh <laughs> it's it's still going on. But two amazing things happened this week. Okay? Okay. Uh, first, Jasmine Roger Shaw announced that she was running for office. Yes, this is She's, incredible. It's incredible. Incredible, it's, incredible. Yeah, incredible. so I'm very excited about this. She's running for District 95 in Broward County to go to, to be a state rep. So this yes. is this is a big deal. We need this she seat to be flipped. She is what we need. Yeah, no, it's imagine? a no bullshit. Can you yeah. imagine? No, oh! and I'm so excited. So that, because <laughs> like a lot of candidates have already announced, so you don't, there's no more real excitement of like someone's announcing. This yes. is a late announcement. But it's the best announcement. It's the best amount announcement and what people really needed. People who pay attention to this kind of stuff yeah. needed this kind of positive, exciting time you know, to pop yes. up. This is yes. the perfect time to, I feel like, announce even. Um, the other amazing thing was that my princess from the 90s who I adore Fiona Apple dropped a new album uh, called Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which I just found out is a line from the amazing show The Fall on Netflix. Have you ever seen The Fall? You I would love it. No, I feel like I have, you know, okay. I'm in this space where I've seen so many shows that I don't so the remember fall, what I've seen, but I, this is familiar to me. Okay, so The Fall stars um, the woman from X-Files, Gillian Anderson, oh. and the guy from... Um, Oh, shit, Hillary. Oh, the the sex movie, sex book. What was that called? Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, I have not seen this. Okay, he. I, so I, I he's a serial to. killer, and so you. And so she. And she's a detective. It's all in England, and she's got to find him. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Anyway, in this, the one of the last scenes of the last season, she they basically catch up, and one of the things she says is fetch the bolt cutters, right? Ah. And so, but but Fiona Apple's interpretation of it is like I've been gone so long, so first album in eight years, and she's kind of like chained herself down by how people were shitty to her, you yes. know, were really shitty to her, and so she's cutting herself free and just mm. making this album that is so insanely genius. It's, it's- it's I haven't listened to all of it yet. Um but the few songs that I've heard, like Under the Table. Oh it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's, it's a so it's good. almost a, you know, she was always this like very self deprecating, sad, sullen girl, right? And then yes. in this it's like the, the busting bad, free. Bad girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she's you know, she's my age, she's forty two and she's just like, fuck it. Like that's what happens when yeah. you turn forty, by the way. Yes. It's almost like the day after my 40th birthday, I was like, I don't give a fuck anymore. Yes. Like politeness. No, uh, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm telling you, I'm not doing it. Everything you feel, it's like you don't have to be constrained by anything. I love it. I love it. I feel like I don't want to be judgy here, but I feel like sometimes women go in, in one or two directions. It's either that like screw everything. Like I'm yeah. going to just do what I want when I want or... I th- sometimes think women go this other route of like just trying to hold on. Mm-hmm. And that's when like the Botox and like, you know what I mean? Yes. Like they go this other uh. direction of, of a different kind of empowerment, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I prefer, you know, the first to the latter. Yeah. Um. So I love it. Oh, it's so good. Yes. The whole album is so good. I can't stop listening to it. I'm like. I actually came home on Friday from work. I told my kids, get out of the car because it came out on Friday. I'm like, get out. 
and I put my seat back. I sent you a picture. I was laying in my car and I was listening to it by myself because I just needed that. Like, I want to hear this. I knew if I walked in the house, they'd start asking me for a million things. And I was just like, no, I'm listening to Fiona Apple. It's just (laughs) let me have this moment. Yeah. There, there were moments on on the first song where just this riffing that she does, there's this jazz. It's, it was, she's a poet, you know, it was just really, um, it, it just felt new yes it felt like just this wonderful new sound and all the things all the people reviewing it are like it's going to this is going to change how people make records it's going to change because it's in her house and it's in her house and it's like she she surrounded herself with musicians who she could um jam with she was never really comfortable jamming and so she surrounded herself with people who she could just like oh we don't have drums oh my drummer can't be here today somebody get a pot and a couple of drumsticks and we're just going to make the percussion this way. Like just Ugh. her dogs are barking in yeah. one of the songs all over the place. It's like, and, and not to edit that out, to not go to a studio and redo that song and just have it the way it is. It's just yes. fantastic. It, it's just funny. Cause my husband and I were talking recently cause we watched, I think it was called yesterday that, that Beatles. Oh movie. yes. Yeah. 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 And we were saying, you know, there, there can never, we were just saying like, there can never sort of be that moment of music that that's truly authentic. Right. You know, cause they did end up sort of falling into, to what corporate, like right. corporate wanted yeah. them to do. But then they had the ability to be really inventive. Yes. Um, and we were just talking about how like, there seems to be like, everything is so many stars like come from Disney channel, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And now they're, they're, they're plateaued on this trajectory like right no like we're gonna pluck this person and try to make them into the next pop star right. and there's no freedom there right and this even though i haven't listened to all of it, it there was this sense of freedom yes and an authenticity that i was like whoa yeah it just harkened back to maybe a different time yes. in music I, I don't know when it they didn't have cool you know what it is it's before the whole digital thing you know when they would do tape to tape recording you'd have to do it until you got it right or yeah. you can listen to even like led zeppelin albums where you hear somebody talking in the background yes. or you hear them start to pick things up where you hear all the noises that are happening that you can't you know take out with a computer right and so it's back to making it sound as real as possible and my god yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Ugh. Because it's not Ugh. perfection. We don't need perfection. We no. need bright, beautiful raw, writing. Raw, and, yes. Raw. And real. Yes. And it's so yeah. fucking good. Ooh. It's so good. I can't wait to listen to the rest of it. I had I had a a a a, 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 a pipe sewage oh God, no. bathroom problem in the middle of this quarantine uh yesterday. So that kind of like sucked up sucked up um some of my time. So stressful. Ugh, like well, I feel like it's stressful in yeah. like non-quarantine time, but yeah. in quarantine time. <laughs> I had like a oh runny nose God. like three weeks ago. And I was, you know, you don't want to get a runny nose right now. No. <laughs> every time you're like, you sneeze or one of my kids sneeze and I look over and I'm like, is this it? Like, yeah. is this what's happening? Is somebody sick? You know, like everything seems to be heightened. Yes. You know? Yes. I know. Yes. It Girl, was not, please. It was not fun. No. Tell you, Mm-mm. and I knew and this is the thing though. For days, for days, I have um, a couple weeks. I think I've mentioned to my husband <laughs> something's not quite right. Please, this isn't quite right. And you know, and then right before it happened, that that one of the bathrooms gurgled 
And I said, I'm telling you, Mm-mm. that's a problem. Mm-hmm. How do you know? And I said, because I know. Yeah. So um, I, I, it just, and then as soon as that happened, I walk into my bathroom and there's just stuff bubbling Girl, up in from the shower no. all over my entire bathroom floor <gasps> into my bedroom. Tina, no. And I was like, ah. but it's fine now. Uh, it's taken care of. Well, my <laughs> husband, I don't know what it is with men, but like they have to fix things themselves. Oh, that's what happened. Um, yeah. And so there's a toilet, our front bathroom toilet. Um, and it just needed to have something changed. Like it wasn't flushing right or it was running. And you know, you have to replace that rubber disc inside the, the toilet, uh, box. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And so he did that and then it still wasn't flushing right. So he rigged it where it has these, I looked inside cause I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And he put some like bolts on the on the chain so it weighs it down and keeps it closed oh. but now oh. because he didn't but really supposed to open right like right but he's so what so it goes back down after yes. you flush but to lift it up or to flush it you have to hold the handle down oh because yeah, otherwise it's it too weighted yeah right so I, I said to him I, I the kids had gone to the bathroom they, they're like ding ding ding, ding like the thing's just bouncing and i'm like what the so he's like, you have to hold it down. So I'm holding it down and it's flushing and then I let it go and it's like, okay, it flushed. And I said to him, but you know, this isn't normal, right? Like you don't have, you're not supposed to be able to, you don't have, you shouldn't have to stand here and hold it. Oh, it's fine. I go, oh, I guess uh, yeah. this is how we're fixing things around here. Right? That's not like I'm going to do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily. But um, he won't call anybody. It's, a, it's like a man thing. Yeah. I mean, luckily I was able to call, I have family members who like, they, you know, can do the plumbing. Have, they've done all of that stuff. So I was able to call a family member who walked me through how to do, you know, how to fix the situation. Holy cow. And then um, I conveyed that to my husband. So he was able, you know, took the toilet off, replaced the wax ring, um, did the snaking. And, wow. Because you can just like get up on the roof and. Right. Yes, 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 yes. You know. Oh, girl, please. Otherwise, we'd probably have to pay like 500 bucks. Yeah, you know no, I mean? that's, so. and I think that's what it is more than anything with my husband. He doesn't yes. want to pay. And because even when I was standing there holding it down, I was staring at him and he goes, <laughs> well, that costs $3. You could call somebody who's going to cost about 100 And I was like, that's what this is about? It's about the difference of $97. All right. I guess yeah. you're right. Forget it. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. So are you ready? All right, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> All right, so today I'm going to tell you the story of former Delaware Deputy Attorney General Thomas Capano. Okay. So Thomas Capano rose to power as a successful attorney, a deputy attorney general, a political consultant, and he was actually legal counsel to former uh, Delaware Governor Mike Castle. But... When his mistress disappeared after a night out, what Capano's true nature is unmasked. His story was, oh, it, it's so, it's so wild. This story takes place in Wilmington, Delaware, where Capano grew up in a very successful and prominent family of real estate developers and contractors. And I'm going to just give you a little bit of background um, on his life, but really, um, I'm going to kind of dig into like that, the crime and what he did uh, a lot today. So he's a son of Italian immigrants and they were 
they started off as like bricklayers, carpenters. You know, it's very, for me, very familiar kind of story of, of, of uh, the Italian immigrant and, and that yeah. kind of work. And they catapulted that, though, into this prominent and very profitable uh, construction business. And so in court, when all of this sort of wrapped up, like his family, everyone kind of referred to him as the golden child, mm. that, that they kind of, he just from his youth was very smart and his family you know, it's that American dream, like we're going to work really hard. And now our kids are going to go to college and they're not going to do this kind of labor work that we did. They're going to do something else. And so mm-hmm. he, he goes to school, he becomes an attorney, he comes back to Willing, um, Wilmington and served in uh, the mayor's office at one time as a chief administrator. And then, like I said, he becomes that deputy um uh, attorney general. He worked as counsel to that governor. So he's really involved in politics and he was a big time mover and shaker. He knew the state reps. He knew really influential people. He was friends from people, um, who were politicians, but also like the chiefs of police, uh, throughout the time that he was, um, prominent. And, you know, so, so he had a reputation, like people knew who he was and he was this super successful guy. He was married, he had four children and he was living this, you know, great life. Mm. But at the same time, he, um, really got around a lot. So he had a lot of mistresses throughout the years. Mm. And, uh, one of them was this Anne-Marie Fahey. And so Anne-Marie Fahey was, one of six siblings, and for most accounts, and this was really hard for me, a lot of the accounts uh, talking about her and her childhood say that it was pretty troubled. She lost her mom uh, to cancer when she was just nine years old. Then her dad um, turned to alcoholism and drinking and um, ends up losing him. And then she's living with older brothers at one time, and that's when things start to sort of iron out for her. Um, she goes off to, uh, I believe it was Wesley College, and she was also described as really, really ambitious and really driven and really, really beautiful. She was like 5'10", uh, tall, brunette, just beautiful girl. But I also did read some um, articles that talked about her struggle with anorexia and depression. Mm. Oh, and so allegedly like the idea i guess that they're trying to sell is that this tom um tom capano looked for vulnerable women of like course. that right? right and so she at the time was working as a secretary like doing the schedule for then governor thomas carper so she's involved in politics and you know they happen to cross paths mm-hmm. and um you know they they end up getting together and so like i said he was married and so he would have these affairs and these mistresses and he wouldn't go about town in Wilmington. He would take them like to Philadelphia or other nearby cities okay. and that's where he would like wine and dine them um, because he didn't want his right. wife to like get wind of it or to yes. embarrass, I think is what he said. He didn't want to embarrass his wife in any way with these affairs. <sighs> so this is, this is the guy. Okay. And so... While she did date Capano, she ends up starting this other relationship with a man named Michael Scanlon, and she met him through her boss. So she's having this affair with Capano for about three years 
but nobody knows about it. She doesn't tell her family. Mm. Few friends know, you know, colleagues really don't know. Okay, so some people know. Some, a couple of friends do know this is going yes, on. Yes. Okay. Yes. I feel her, like that's going to be important. Yes, but okay. her but her her family isn't aware. Right. Well, right, um, yeah. And it could be because he's this married, successful guy that yeah, yeah, she yeah. doesn't want them to pass judgment or who knows, you know? Yes, so of course. Um, so that happens. So she meets this guy, Michael Scanlon, and she ends up really falling for him. And mm. that relationship starts to grow. And right when she's realizing, like, hey, I think I really want to be with this guy, she uh, tries to tell Capano... Peace, see you later, I'm right, out. Right, right. And she tries to break things off with him. Oh, God. Yeah. So um, essentially what happens is um, she was supposed to go to dinner at her sister's house, and she doesn't show. Oh. And a family member, and I, and some reports say that she, the family member went and, like, called police right away. Other reports say that um, she and Sc- uh, Scanlon uh, the current boyfriend right. go to the house, and when they go to the house, they everything is sort of in disarray. So she's normally like the super neat person where everything's in order, and there are, you know, uh, rotten groceries out on the counter. Oh. There's uh, just stuff is sort of strewn everywhere, and they find her ID, they find credit cards, um, they find a. Uh, this is back when there were answering machines. So there's yeah. all these unplayed messages okay. sitting on her, on her answering machine. And the other thing they find, like when they see that this is all crazy, I think that's when they call police. And they end up finding these letters from her to Capano. Oh, no. And then they also find, and, and the letters kind of reveal this relationship that the family was like, we don't know, like, who is this guy? Right. And then they also... Um, according to Daryl Ritchie's Deadly Secret, police discover her diary. And in the diary, she detailed her relationship with Capano. And the diary noted that he was a jealous, overbearing boyfriend who she was afraid of. Oh, my gosh. So this is kind of outlined. She noted how he acted aggressively toward her in the past. Um, he, she talked about a time that he had broken into her apartment. What? And, like, trashed it. Um, and then they also find an email um, at one point in the investigation, uh, prior to her death, where Capano promised to make her smile and um, that he was going to take her out to this restaurant. And so they go to that restaurant and they find out that, like, the night that she... Okay, okay. They were know, there together? They were there together, okay. yes. So um, in one of her final diary entries, she wrote, quote, I have finally brought closure to Tom Capano. What a controlling manipulative, insecure, jealous maniac. Now that I look back on that aspect of my life, I realize just how vulnerable I had become. It hurts me when I think about that year. For one whole year, I allowed someone to take control of every decision in my life. Wow. Isn't that just... I mean, the thing that's weird to me is that as a man, like you're married, this is an extra relationship. Why are you so involved in it? Have a good time if that's what you're... Like, what's the point of being controlling of a second relationship. Right. You know, not like, to, what is that? Not to mention that while he is married. Yeah. 
while he's dating Fahey, he's also been carrying on, I believe it was a 12-year affair. Oh, my with God. another woman. This is crazy. Yes. And, uh, yes. And her name was uh, Adebra McIntyre. Okay. And they dated, and he... Deborah McIntyre was the wife of one of his colleagues, like in his law firm. What? And also she was friends with his wife. So they Ugh. like knew each other. And oh so, so that's carrying on at the same time. So, wow. and then in between, he's been seeing other women as well. Wow. So he, like, this is just what he does. And he, you know, would, would, um, with, with, um, Anne Marie, he would buy her all of these lavish gifts and, you know, kind of shower her with all of this stuff to try mm. to keep her, right. you know, take her out and do all this stuff. And, you know, she, he was about 17 years older than her. When they first met, she was in her late 20s. And then I'm thinking, you know, and the way they do portray her is that maybe she was a little insecure. Maybe he's this powerful guy and she probably... Oh, well, I, and I'm just, you know, editorializing here, but maybe yeah. she felt like, oh, this guy's giving me attention or wow, like, it's, who knows? It's not her problem. He, she's it? not, she's not married. Right. And should he, sh listen, was she, does she know he's married? Yes. Did she do it anyway? Yes. Okay. Yes. But again, why is he getting so involved in this? He, yeah. Why does he, he care so much? So the major incident, right? So she goes missing and various newspapers claim that Capana takes Fahey out to dinner in Philadelphia, and there's witnesses that corroborate them. There's a waitress that um, saw them at this restaurant, and the waitress also remembers them because she says uh, that they didn't look like they were having a good time, mm. that they were there, but that it was tense. Yeah. You know? um, so that might have been. And I think she just recognized him because he probably went there frequently, and if he is this mover and shaker, people probably knew right. who, he was. who he was, you know? So allegedly, he returns to his rented home in the upscale Wilmington Heights area. He shoots her oh, and then stuffs her into a <gasps> cooler, into like a fishing cooler, one of those big white yes. fishing coolers with the help of his brother. What? And then, yes, so he involves his brother. So the brother didn't have anything to do with the murder, but, you know, allegedly he murders her calls his brother is like you, you got to help me because the brother has a boat and so they yeah he gets her into this cooler they try to dump the cooler in the ocean but it floats, floats. so then they're shooting holes into the cooler to try to get it to sink it doesn't work so they take her out of the cooler and what investigators believe is that they like wrapped her in anchors from the boat to weigh her down and then holy I know, shit it's, it's so awful and then later he asked that same brother, Jerry, to dispose of a bloody couch, which they dump on another brother's property. So remember, the family has like this construction yeah. business. So they have all these big dumpsters. Wait, so where did he actually murder her? At his home. Murders her at the home. Where, where his family lives? So, okay. So I, my fault, me and Colpa. <laughs> so he is separated from his wife. Okay, okay. So he's got time. his own so place. He's still married, so he has his own place got it. that he's been renting out. And he has he's taken her back there. Okay. Allegedly kills her there. Okay. Removes her from that residence, like calls his brother. We're going to put got her on it. a boat and then the rest of that. Yes. And then they contact another brother, Louie, and uh, they uh, put that material, the couch the and other mm -hmm. things into the dumpsters by the time police realize that they may have used those dumpsters and they go searching they've been dumped they, right. they can't find anything wow 
Um, so how does he finally go down? So even though Fahey's body, they never recover. Fahey's oh, body. for fuck's sake. I know. And they never find the weapon. <sighs> so, and, and those are cases like, I mean, we, we, we are true crime people where, um, those cases where there's no body, there's no weapon. Yeah. Usually there's no murder. Right. right. So they're really, really hard cases to try to, um, prosecute someone right. on. But they've got, they've got, they've got at least they've, one witness. They've got some evidence. So even though the, the body, um, is not recovered nor the weapon, they are able to charge him for murder for one. They know they are like, okay, this guy, his brother, right. Gary, uh, Jerry rather, yeah. sorry, is involved and they want to try to get him to cooperate, but he does not cooperate. Ooh, he doesn't <laughs> right until they basically, they, they bust him. They, 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 um, they bust him for cocaine. So they end up finding some cocaine and fucking idiot. in order to save himself, really, of he's like, um, okay, fine. Like, and, and then his other brother, Louis doesn't want to go to jail either. And so right. like they, they have to spill it and right. they do. So th- that's one of the things, um, that, that allow them to really move forward in the case, some other evidence. So even though they never found the weapon, what they do have is that other relationship that Deborah McIntyre that mm, he's been seeing for, for the 12 tw- years. Right. She testifies that she bought him a 22 caliber Beretta as a gift mm. shortly before Fahey. And where went. is it? Right. Yes. Right. His gun is gone. Mm. Um, during the investigation, they learned that Capano would hang outside of Anne Marie Fahey's apartment and this is coming from friends because she um, confided in friends that he was calling her nonstop, that she believed he was stalking her. Um, the incident where he broke into the apartment, he had climbed up the fire escape, broke in to try to take back gifts that he had given her. So he was he was out of control. Yeah. And so she had confided in some friends. So they did have that. They did find evidence of a credit card usage at a drugstore. And when they went to that drugstore, the store manager was like, yeah, I remember this guy. He was looking for like blood stain remover. Oh my so God. They had that. <laughs> what a fucking asshole. And then oh my God. <laughs> the cooler. So remember that cooler? Yeah. They, they shot it. And this other fisherman happened to find like, you know, floated around and another fisherman finds the cooler. With the gun holes in it. And it's got bullet holes in it and it's stained pink. <sighs> and so he's trying to clean it out. And like a friend of his or a brother was like, hey, I just heard something on the news about this missing person. That could be evidence. And so they turn it over to the police. Ooh. So now they have this cooler. I don't think they could get any DNA from it, but they have, um, you know, it corroborates the brother's story. Right. Right. So um, they learned that Jerry, uh, the brother, sold his boat mm. shortly after Fahey disappeared. So they go track down the new owner of the boat they don't find any DNA or anything on the boat, but they do realize that two anchors are missing. And that's where they realize like probably wow. what they did with the anchors. And when they finally are able to put together um, a search warrant to go back to the home of his rented home, right. they find like two tiny, so he, so there, there's um, two new chairs. Cause remember the couch yes. has been thrown out. Yeah. So there's new furniture and there's a new rug. And so they search that area and on the baseboard or something or the wall, they find two tiny spots of blood. And <gasps> then what was really interesting is they needed the, the DNA match, but her parents ha- were deceased. Oh, And right. that sibling, it's not close enough. 
So they find out, and I think I got this from uh, like Investigation Discovery, one of the shows. They find um, out that she had donated blood to the Red Cross. And they're able to go to the Red Cross and like they they still have like her plasma or whatever it is. And they're able to do a DNA match that way. And oh, then that's they, amazing. It's, it was crazy. So they're like, boom, we have her. Holy. These two little spots of blood. That's enough, dude. That's enough yeah. evidence. Yes. The new carpeting. Come I on. mean. No, he's an asshole. Horrible. And then they also have testimony from her psychologist who said that Fahey confided in her that she was afraid of him. And the psychologist said, I don't think she would ever willingly go to his house. So wow. all of this together. And then with the, the testimony from the brothers. So Capano, this is my favorite part of this whole crazy thing, <laughs> is that Capano finally admits. He's like, I did, I did it. I disposed. Oh. I disposed of the body. But it was all an accident. I didn't kill her. His claim, he tries to pin it all on McIntyre, the girlfriend, the other girlfriend. Oh, my God. So his claim is that Deborah McIntyre was so jealous of this relationship that she shows up while they're we're, we're innocently hanging out at my house. She shows up. She goes nuts. I try to stop it. The gun goes off as Fahey was getting up to leave and she dies. And I didn't want Deborah to get in trouble. So, you know, I, I, I wanted to protect her. And so I did a stupid thing and I, I disposed of this body. Ow, he's a, a the Can lowest. You, oh my the god, the lowest of the low. Oh my god, come on, like, he's such a such a jerk. Like, yeah. oh my god, and so of course, like, no one no one believes yeah. this story, <laughs> and so um, the charges he gets one count of first degree murder, and he's found guilty. The judge said he is a ruthless murderer who feels compassion for no one and remorse only for the circumstances in which he finds himself. Mm. He is a malignant force from whom no one he deems disloyal disloyal or adversarial can be secure. Wow. So he's like done. Like he recognizes this guy for what he is. Yes. And he's like, it's over. Um, He receives the death sentence. But in 2006, the Supreme Court vacates the death sentence because the original jury did not unanimously agree. Okay. And so for a death sentence in that state to move forward, it has to be the full jury has to vote right. for it, and it can't be based on what the judge wants. Mm-hmm. And so they had to vacate that, and, you know, so it's life in prison. He gets disbarred. Um, the Fahis sue the Capanos, uh, all of them, for wrongful death. Um. And, you know, for their role in disposing of the body and yes. helping and all of that. And that case is settled in 2001. In 2011, he dies in prison of a heart attack. Whoa. Yeah. So he, he, he has, he's no longer here. And his family, not his family, her family was, you know, they were like, it's about time. Yeah. You know? Wow. So um, some points of interest. So this happened in 1996. But allegedly in 1981, Capano had asked a man named Joe Riley to harass and murder his then-girlfriend, Alinda Marandola, um, and he backs out at the last minute. So this is someone who, you know, this is his predilection, right? Like Holy if something cow. doesn't go his way, he just wants them gone. 
um, it's that it's that possessiveness that having to have them all the time or no one else can yes. that kind of weird yes. shit. Yes, it's definitely like if I can't have her, no one yeah. else can. Meanwhile, yes, he's dating all of these <laughs> other women, married, and, and he's, he's a pig. He's but married. no one else can do it. Like it's it. I don't it know. Boggles the mind. Wow. So, um, like I said, he had affairs with at least eight women throughout the years he was married. And at, at one time it was McIntyre Fahey, you know, and, and his wife, and he's juggling all of these relationships. And then you're going to worry. And then one of them wants out, like he should be like, God, thank God. That's one less woman I got to deal with right now. No, I don't think he sees them that way. No, he doesn't see it that way. They no. all belong to him or something. Right. And so even though he and his wife were separated at the time, she did, um, his, his estranged wife and now ex-wife did, um, during the sentencing, like ask that he not get the death sentence for the sake of their daughters and all of this. Mm. He had four daughters, by the way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it's, ugh. and so, <laughs> so the wife never knew about the affairs or anything. Cause remember he's doing oh, all honey. of this, like in another city, please. I know what the hell does that mean? Give me but a break. She said to him, um, why, like, why didn't you ever tell me with that, about these affairs? Like what? And, and he said it, it was private. Yeah. No, he's, it's almost (laughs) like he can separate himself from either one. He thinks he deserves all these relationships or whatever, all the sex, because that's what it is. It's not really. And then also it's, he does, he thinks of himself as separately. Like, yes, I'm a husband and a father, but I'm also this, right? Right. Like he can have these other things. Yeah. Mm. Um, so while he is, you know, awaiting trial and whatnot, he tried to hire an inmate to kill McIntyre. Oh the, my God. Yes, yes. He even drew a map of her house. Like what in like, the fuck is with yes, this guy? Yes. It's, it's crazy. They don't give up. No. And then of course, oh my God. of course he's an attorney. He knows what's best. And all of his attorneys advised him, right? Don't take the stand. <laughs> oh <Don't> no. <laughs> take the stand. Oh no. And of course he takes, the of stand. course. And uh, one of his attorneys noted he wounded himself mortally by testifying Wow. He demonstrated himself to be a completely controlling individual, which fell right in with the prosecution's case. Yeah. He can't shut up. Can't wow. shut up. He's on his own worst enemy. Yeah. He's like this pompous, I'm going to tell my side. And he probably came off as like the biggest tool. Wow. You know? um, another sort of fact that I thought was interesting is he was one of the few millionaires ever to be on death row. Wow. Um, one thing that I thought was a bit macabre and it just, you know, sometimes I think, oh, it would be cool to be a jury member and, right. and be part of one of these trials. And Uh-oh. then when I heard this part, I was like, dear God, like the, the thing that they, the, you know, the, the evidence that they have to look at all of that is, yeah. you know, the reality of it versus like the imagined yes. sort of telling the story of instead of actually looking at it. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so Capano claimed that he placed, um, Fahey in in the cooler so one of the and but he's like I just put her in there like I didn't harm her and I, you know he just folded her up put her in this cooler and one of the jurors was roughly the same height and weight oh no and so she was like okay here's a sample of that same make and model of the cooler and 
The one thing with the cooler, when the fishermen found it, there was like a barcode on it, and they were actually able to connect that barcode to a credit card, like a purchase that he made. Oh, my God. So that was another connection. Oh, my God. So they have the same make and model of a cooler, and this jury member, like, tries to get inside it, and they can't close the lid, and that's when they all realize, like, that he had to, like, break her bones, (gasps) you know, to actually make her fit. And, And it was, like, this sort of grisly like stark reality moment for all of these people to like see, like to, to realize like what he did. Yes. So that I think was like a really, for the juror, for the jurors, like a really pivotal moment in, in the type of man that he was too. Yeah. Because also if you Uh, think about like what he uh, did, it's not love, you know, he didn't love this person. If you love someone, first of all, you, of course you don't shoot them, (laughs) but then when you let them go. Yeah. And, but then what you do to their body, when you can do that to their body and still have the peace of mind to like call your brother and call this brother and like, and then the anchor, like it's not even about that person anymore. You know, and the poor family, you know, like they can't even have her back or no, 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 no. It's, it's such a, it's, it's so disgusting. Yeah. Um, and, and rule, right. The stranger beside me, she actually, one of the books that she wrote, she wrote a book, um, wow. about this case. And another thing I found, um, and there was a made for TV movie and I tried watching it and I couldn't, mm. it was with Mark Harmon who, Ooh, wow, I like he Mark is Harmon. so adorable, yeah. but I mean, I got through like maybe 15 minutes of this made for TV two parter. And I was like, dear God, I, I couldn't handle it. It was like the, the level of cheese and like the dialogue <laughs> and, and they have Anne-Marie Faye. He's sort of, it was like this you know, ghost narrator in the background, like oh. popping in and out. I'm like, when I, I first I, met him. I yeah, fell in love. I, I just, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I might try it again, but I don't know. I just couldn't. Um, and then the last thing I thought was really just this whole family, I think has an ego problem mm. because so Louis and Jerry, they got immunity for their testimony. <laughs> so they, you know, they didn't get any jail time or anything for their role in helping. Wow. Um, their brother. Uh, and in 2006, Louis, he was the one who, um, with the dumpsters, right? right? Not on the boat. He donates a million dollars to his alma mater, and it's this elite Catholic school in the area. And he wants the school named after his parents. I mean, it'd be like Capano High School, Mm-mm. right? And, and, and this is in an area where everyone knows this case. Right. Not only that, but uh, the nephew of Anne-Marie Fahey, you have to go to that school. Oh, my God. Right? right? And so he <sighs> donates this money, and the archdiocese is considering, like, at the time, like, having this school named after them. And the parents of the school, Fahey's family, members of the community, they're like, are you people out of your mind? So not only did Thomas kill Fahey, right, but Jerry helps dispose of yeah. the body. Louis destroys evidence. Um, and he allegedly also, like, harassed uh, witnesses in this murder investigation, Another brother, Joseph, not related to this incident at all, but was involved in a sex crime. He raped and kidnapped a woman. What is going on in this fucking house over here? This whole family is wackadoo. And then they want to put their name on a Catholic school. Oy vey. Oy. Like, oh, we're going to make it up to our parents by somehow buying our way. We're going to buy our way into heaven. No, bitch. Get out. And Anne-Marie's sister, Kathleen, said... To know that my nephew is going to be asked to worship in that chapel and it's named after the family that murdered his aunt, I have a problem with that. Yeah, everybody I should. mean. Yeah, no. The uh, balls. The balls on these motherfuckers. Oh, my God. Fuck off. It was just, 
it, like when I heard that, I said, this, this, th- th- these people are nuts. Yeah. They should be ashamed. Yeah. They should be, they, they should leave town. Oh my God. So that's the story. That's the story oh of our disgraced God. Thomas Capano attorney, adulterer and murderer. So short and sweet, but. Okay. So for my story today, I'm going to talk about U.S. Senator Larry Craig of Idaho. Oh, I know know that you'll remember this as soon as I start talking about it. Okay. So here's a really great quote from Larry Craig. Oh, God. From a press conference. I am not gay. I never have been gay. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That's a little upfront of like what we're going to be talking about with this guy. Okay. So Larry Craig was born in Council, Idaho in 1945. He grew up on a ranch outside of Midvale in Washington County. In 1969, he received his uh, Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from the, from the University of Idaho. He pursued graduate studies at George Washington University before returning home uh, to the family's ranching business in 1971. He was a member of the Idaho Army National Guard from 1970 to 72. And um, in 1983, he married Suzanne Thompson and adopted the three children that she had from a previous marriage. Oh. Okay. So Craig was elected to the Idaho Senate in 1974 and then reelected in 1976 and 1978. Uh, In 1980, he was elected to an open seat in the U.S. House of Representatives representing Idaho's first congressional district. And Larry was reelected four times, serving as a U.S. House rep until 1991. Wow. So in this time when he was in the House, there was a, a, a congressional page scandal in 1983, um, or it was like 1982, 1983, um, a congressional page, um, is a student who's sponsored right. by a certain member of Congress. They're not an employee of anybody in particular in, in the, in the, in the house or the, or the Senate. They work kind of together on the floor to assist members of Congress. Okay. And you can start, uh, this, the page program, you can be 16 years old when you start. Okay. Okay. So um, there was a, a huge sex scandal that involved congressional pages oh, that happened. No. Yeah. So on July fourteenth, nineteen eighty three, the House Ethics Committee recommended that Representative Dan Crane, a Republican from Illinois, and Representative Jerry Studs, a Democrat from Massachusetts, or, I'm sorry, from Maine, um, be reprimanded for having engaged in sexual relationships with minors, especially <gasps> specifically seventeen year old pages. Just okay? rep- just reprimanded. They were rep- they were censured which I guess is they consider, uh, that's it. <laughs> that, that was it. That was that's, it. So those are the two people I'd love to do another story. I think maybe in the future about that scandal, but, um, there was all kinds of allegations of cocaine use and sex with male teenage congressional pages. Wait a minute. How, what that, that, Oh, so okay. when they did the investigation, they only found that these two, they only had enough right, evidence. But they didn't go to these, jail. No. They don't have to register as a sex offender. No, 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 okay. no. They were censured. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I know. I know. Uh, okay. Well, this is what, the 80s? So people were yeah. still stupid? And remember, <laughs> remember, um, who was the one from Palm Beach that got into a huge thing recent? It was, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to, I got to look it up, I think. What's his name? Foley? Was it Mark Foley from Palm Beach? Oh, this and sounds And he familiar. got in trouble with the mail page, maybe within the last 10 years. Yeah. I have him pulled up here. Criminal charges. Oh, um, allegations surfaced that he had sent suggestive emails and sexually explicit instant messages to teenage boys. Yeah. Okay. So they were pages. 
Right. Okay. But it ended with no criminal findings. So yeah. I guess that's. So it still happens is what I'm saying, right? Like this yes. is something that happened in the 80s, but it's still something that happens when these kids are working in Congress. <laughs> oh, dear God. So before they finished the investigation, some of the allegations were there was allegations of cocaine use and sex with male teenage congressional pages by unnamed congressmen. Um, were pursued by investigators and journalists in 1982. A former page, Leroy Williams of Little Rock, Arkansas, was quoted as saying he had arranged a meeting between a senator and a homosexual prostitute. Mr. Williams was 18 at the time, and one of it was one of the original sources of the reports accusing members of Congress of sexual misconduct. He told his, uh, the Arkansas Gazette that the meeting between the senator and the prostitute occurred at the Watergate apartment complex in in washington dc he said he had seen the two men enter a bedroom members generally avoided so so we don't know who this was right but there was all these rumors swirling and this was 1982 so this is before larry craig got married okay okay so members generally avoided making public statements about accusations lest they seem to give substance to the charges but Representative Larry E. Craig, Republican of Idaho, issued a statement saying mm. that the reports of homosexual activity reflected reflected a, quote, concerted effort at character assassination. And he also said, when all else fails, persons who are unmarried by choice or circumstance have always been the subject of innuendos, gossip, and false accusations. This is despicable. Uh, so, and then he rumors gets married swirling, shortly after. That's right, honey. Oh. So rumors were swirling that he was the person, this congressman. Yes. And so instead of just keeping his mouth shut and keep working, yeah. he had to make a statement trying yes. to deflect it. And, and then I mean, gets married a year later. Yeah. And it's a shame that he couldn't just be open yeah, well, with his we're, sexuality. We're going to get into that for sure. So, okay. So then in 1990, Larry Craig ran for the U.S. Senate, defeating Democratic former Idaho legislative member Ron J. Twelliger with 61% of the vote. Craig served as Senate Republican Policy Committee chairman from 1997 until 2003. After the Democrats gained control of the Senate in the 2006 congressional election, Craig became the ranking member of the Committee on Veterans Affairs and a member of the Appropriations Committee and the Energy and National Resources Committee. He served as the ranking member of the Interior and Related Agencies Appropriations Subcommittee. So all like super yeah, those important, are important committees. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. On June 11th, 2007... Craig was arrested at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport on suspicion oh. of disorderly conduct. Yes, okay. now I remember. <laughs> this, it just gets so dirty, right? Oh, God. Not dirty and like like creepy, whatever. It's just... This is like the foot, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, no. So the nature of the alleged activity has been categorized by some as cottaging. So cottaging is a gay slang term started in the UK referring to anonymous sex between men in public bathrooms or cruising for sexual partners with the intention of having sex elsewhere. And the reason they call it cottaging is because if you look it up online, the, the bathrooms in, in, um, in the, in the parks in England, they look like little cottages. <laughs> so that's why they call it cottaging. They're kind of cute, actually. That sounds really cute. <laughs> it is. Um, according to the police report, the police officer sat in a bathroom stall as part of an undercover operation investigating complaints of sexual activity in the restroom. After about 13 minutes of sitting in the stall, the police officer observed Craig lingering outside and frequently peeking through the crack of the door on the stall. Oh, no. Craig then entered the stall to the left of the officer's stall. 
The police officer made the following observations, which he recorded in his report of the incident as to what happened next. Now, this is very important. Okay, what was, this is a quote, this is all from his report. Okay. At 12, 16 hours, Craig tapped his right foot. I recognize this as a signal used by persons wishing to engage in lewd conduct. Craig tapped his toes several times and moved his foot closer to my foot. The presence of others did not seem to deter Craig as he moved his right foot so that it touched the side of my left foot, which was within my stall area. Uh-oh. Craig then proceeded to swipe his left hand under the <gasps> stall divider several times with the palm of his hand facing upward. Oh. Yeah. According to the incident report and com- criminal complaint filed in court, the officer showed Craig his police identification beneath the partition separating oh, the stalls. no. And the officer then pointed his finger toward the exit, you know, like, get out of the stall. Um, Craig initially said no, but he ultimately complied with the officer's request to leave the restroom. After Craig and the officer left the restroom, Craig was reluctant to go with the officer and demanded the officer show his police identification a second time. Once the officer complied with the request, Craig, the the arresting officer, and a police detective who was stationed outside the restroom went to the airport police station. After the arresting officer read Craig his Miranda rights, the officer interviewed Craig about the restroom incident. This is all recorded. So... The um the the interview and you can go to YouTube and find it and listen to it. It's it's remarkable what happens in this interview. So before you go to the interview, they people were complaining. Yes, that there was someone trying to solicit sex in the bathroom. Not that someone that that they had been in the bathroom and there was people having sex in these stalls. Okay, so in the in the airport. Okay, so then so then so. I'm just going to make an assumption that then he knew. Right. That this or, was a place you could cruise. That you could, yeah. That yes. you could do this or he'd done it before. Absolutely. Right. And so he, it just was his unlucky day. Yes. That they happened to do this sting operation. Yes. Okay. So okay. it wasn't like they were suspecting him. No, it was personally. not a setup. No, 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 no. Right. You're so, exactly okay. right. Okay. Okay. So there's a park here in, in Wilton Manors, Kalahatchie Park. I grew up in Walt Manors and this park is so cool because it's like you walk this boardwalk and it's like you're going through the old Florida, you know, these trees that's swampy. But after you get to the end of the boardwalk, it's a huge park. There's a playground, there's a field and there's bathrooms. So for years, because Walt Manors is, is, a, is a gay community, it's mostly a gay uh, friendly, you know, it's a gay friendly community. Men were having sex in those bathrooms. Oh. And it went from being like this, you can go to the bathroom here to like, do not go in the bathrooms or things were happening on the boardwalk. And so the police had to do the same thing oh. where they were cracking down on, they had to put cameras in the bathroom. They're or like just outside. like, this is a public place. You, yes. Yeah, you, you can't need, do that here. Yeah. Okay. So same kind of thing yeah. where people were complaining. And airport, yeah. Who wants to, you get off that plane, you're tired. Right. You know, the last thing you want. Yeah. Is to hear people having sex in the bathroom. Exactly. Yeah. Or you're bringing your kids in there to go to the bathroom. Yeah. It's an airport. Everybody's Everybody's, there. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's probably part of the thrill though. Yeah. So the recording is amazing. I would suggest everybody go to YouTube. We'll put the link in the, in the, in the blog notes, but you can listen to him going on and on in the recording and the officer just out of his mind because he can't believe this guy is sitting here trying to say that what happened what just happened didn't happen. You know what I mean? And yeah. almost like the officer's getting so frustrated and even gets frustrated later on. And that's why they put this recording out because they wanted to be like, 
I'm not lying. He's lying. Like the officer's like, I did my job. And yeah. he's sitting here saying all these things that didn't happen. He's the, li- you know, the senator oh is the one God. that's lying, you know? So, okay. Uh, after the arresting officer read Craig his Miranda rights, the officer interviewed Craig about the restroom incident. At one point, Craig handed his business card to the arresting officer, which identified him as a U.S. senator and said to him, quote, what do you think about that? Which I was like, what the fuck? Why the fuck do I care? Um, Craig told the officer that he was worried about missing his flight, and the arresting officer asked the police detective to call the airline to hold the flight, but they didn't. They and so they proceeded with the interview. They couldn't hold the flight. Who's holding a flight? I mean, there's schedules. Please. Um, According to the arrest report prepared by Sergeant Dave Carcinia. Quote, Craig stated he was has a wide stance when he goes to the bathroom and that oh. his foot may have touched mine, end quote. <laughs> I know. According to the transcript of the police interrogation, Sergeant Kersinia asked, quote, did you do anything with your feet? And Craig replied, quote, position them. I don't know. I don't know at the time. I'm a fairly wide guy, mm. end quote. When the officer asked Craig about the use of his hands, Craig said that he reached down with his right hand to pick up a piece of paper that was on the floor. The officer oh. disputed Craig's version by saying, quote, there was not a piece of paper on the bathroom floor, nor did Craig pick, Craig pick up a piece of paper, end quote. Craig also disputed the officer's assertion about the position of his hand, claiming that his right palm was face down as he picked up the paper off the floor. It's just like lies, oh. right? The officer disputed Craig's version, alleging that Craig was used his left hand because it, with his because his thumb was positioned in a faceward faceward. So he reached over with his left hand like this, right? Yeah. During the interview and in the incident report, the officer commented that Craig either disagreed with what happened in the restroom or could not recall the events as as they had happened. Mm. Craig returned to the airport on June 22nd to complain about how he had been treated by the police. Oh. And according to He the couldn't po- just let it go? No. And according to the police report about Craig's return, Craig said he wanted more information for his lawyer. Okay. So, so this is tough because it's just the two of them. It's just the two of them. And they had this, you know, recording of the, okay. So he was issued a disorderly conduct as a misdemeanor. So basically you get a piece of paper, you sign it saying you're guilty and you turn, you send it back to the court with like a $575. And that's it. That's it. Okay. So Craig, he doesn't want this on his record. Right. But yeah. he does it because he thinks it's just going to go away. He won't be arrested in front of people. He thinks it's going to just go to the court and that's all that's going to happen. Oh, there's going to be some report or someone going, right. ooh. Right. So Craig <laughs> pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor charge of disorderly conduct by signing and mailing a plea petition dated August 1st, 2007 to the Hennepin County District Court in Minnesota. He paid $575, including fines and fees. Senator Craig signed the petition to enter his guilty plea, which contained the provisions, quote, I understand that that the court will not accept a plea of guilty from anyone who claims to be innocent. I now make no claim that I am innocent of the charge to which I am entering a plea of guilty, end quote. So you're signing this saying Mm -hmm. that you're guilty. You're paying the fine because so there's no question about what this says. Craig mailed his signed petition to the court and his petition to plead guilty to the misdemeanor charge was accepted and filed by the court on August 8th, 2007. So, so exactly I mean, what you said it. happens, happens. Yeah. A blog called Roll Call gets oh, a tip. Yeah. And on August 27th, 2007, Roll Call broke the story to reveal de- reveal details about Craig's arrest at the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport mm. and his subsequent guilty plea in that case. 
So and now, now, now we got to like go back. Media. He's got to backpedal. Yes. Right? So oh, at a news conference on August 29th, 2007, Craig announced, quote, I did nothing wrong at the Minneapolis airport. I did nothing wrong. And I regret the decision to plead guilty and the sadness that has brought this has brought on my wife for that. I apologize. In June, I overreacted and made poor decisions while I was not involved in any inappropriate conduct at the Minneapolis airport or anywhere or anywhere else, I chose to plead guilty to a lesser charge in hopes of making it go away. I did not seek any counsel from an attorney, friend, staff, or family. That was a mistake, end quote. Later on in the press conference, he says, quote, let me be clear, I am not gay. I never have been gay, end quote. Uh-oh. At a news conference on September 1st, 2007, Craig announced his intent to resign with sadness and deep regret. So between the 27th wow. and the 1st, like August 27th, the first, somebody, I feel like someone had to say, I'm about to come or, or I think the Republican leaders were like, it's time. Like you can't. So here's what's also happening during this time is the, the David Vitter. Oh yes. DC madam. Okay. So David Vitter, as we were, as we covered earlier in another previous episode, he kind of was in Louisiana, gave a press conference and he said, I got to go back to work. See you later. He yeah. was caught by in this DC yeah. madam scandal, but because it was a woman escort, right? He was allowed to go back, and nobody said anything about it, right? right? And also, there was a Democratic governor in Louisiana, so they wanted him to stay on because if he had resigned, the it, Democratic governor in Louisiana could replace him with a Democrat, right? Right. So in Idaho, two different things. This is a different story for Craig. One, it's a gay scandal, which does not look good for Republicans, especially during this time. Ding dong Bush, George W. Yes. was trying to get reelected and gay marriage was a huge, huge thing. Remember huge that? Issue. That was the reelection issue for him. And I would imagine they have plenty of other Republicans to uh, fill his spot. Yeah. And it's a Republican governor in Idaho yeah. who could replace him with a Republican. Yeah. So there was a, I think it was a Senator Leahy who was like, this is bullshit that you're asking him to step down. How is he any different than Vitter? Like, how yeah. is the scandal any different? It's not right. So I think they got a hold of him, asked him to resign. And then three days later, a spokesperson for Craig indicated he was reconsidering his decision to resign, oh especially if his conviction was rapidly overturned and his committee assignments were. So, so he, he, he sends in that plea of guilty. It gets exposed that, that he pleaded guilty. Right. His friends, his lawyers all got a hold of him and were like, why did you do that? Yes. Why did you turn that back in? So now he's got lawyers. He's going to send to try to overturn it. Yeah. So the following week, Craig's attorneys filed a motion to withdraw his guilty plea, arguing that it, quote, was not knowing and intelligent and therefore was in violation of his constitutional rights, end quote. Oh, God. Yeah. His lawyers further argued that Craig, quote, felt compelled to grasp the lifeline, hoping that if he were to submit to an interview and plead guilty, that none of the allegations would be made public. The motion argued that Craig had entered the plea under stress caused by media inquiries into his sexuality. The Uh. ACLU filed an uh, amicus curiae brief stating that the secret sting operation was used by the police was not, quote, carefully crafted, end quote, to avoid ensnaring innocent speech and that the defendant should be permitted to withdraw his plea and should the state recharge him to contest the constitutional validity of the prosecution. Mm. So there were people coming out on his side, right? Um, Craig's motion hearing to withdraw his guilty plea was held on September 26th on, 
so he so then Craig released a statement that saying that that same day when they were arguing in front of the judge that he would remain in office until the judge ruled on his motion to withdraw his plea. And then October. Yeah. So now he's not leaving. Right. So October 4th, 2007, Judge Porter denied Craig's motion to withdraw his guilty plea, ruling that Craig's plea was accurate, voluntary and intelligent and that evidence supported the conviction. As part of Craig's appeal of this ruling, the ACLU filed another brief that cited a Minnesota Supreme Court ruling from 38 years earlier, finding that those engaging in sexual encounters in closed stalls in otherwise public restrooms have a, quote, reasonable expectation of privacy. Oh. Yeah. I don't know how that's possible. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it, you're closed off, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, after Judge Porter's ruling, Craig announced that despite his pledge to the contrary, he would serve out his Senate term. I mean, he's like all over the place. I mean, this, this is the thing that's tough that if someone does have a sexual indiscretion outside of their marriage, does that constitute them having to be removed from office? Well, here's the thing, you know, he's not even... It's not even about that because he's saying it didn't happen. Right. And to me, that's even and that's worse. The lie. Yeah. yeah. Like you're now saying that the officer's lying. And like yes. they had to drag this officer in God, to, give, yeah, to give yeah. testimony and being like, this is some bullshit. Like even in that recording of the interview, the guy's, the guy's like, um, how can you sit? The officer was getting so frustrated. And he was like, how could you sit here and lie? People vote for you. Like, what are you? Yeah. How dare you sit here? Like, I'm, I was in the stall. I know what you were doing. Like, yeah. how can you lie? And he said, don't you understand that people, we're the police, people lie to us every day. We know when people are lying. Yeah. And he's like, people lie all the day to me too. Like Craig was just trying to go back and forth. And the guy's like, this is insane. Yeah. So it's that piece. It's that, that, the lie. The lie. Yeah. The constant cover up, you know? Yeah. Which is, that shows something about the character, right? Yes. So. So uh, Craig did not run for reelection in 2008 and left office on January 3rd, 2009. Um, in September of 2008, Craig's attorney argued before a three pudge, <laughs> three judge panel of the Minnesota court of appeals that there was insufficient, insufficient evidence to find Craig guilty of a misdemeanor. So we're still going to fight this right mm. in December, 2008, the appellate court rejected this attempt to have the guilty plea tossed out and rejected the constitutional challenge to the charges. On January 8th, 2009, Craig dropped his appeal to the Minnesota state Supreme court after his attorney determined that the court would be unlikely to accept the petition for further review of the case, ending the legal challenge to his guilty plea. Mm. Okay. So now he's out of office, right? Yeah. We're not going to pursue the guilt. You know, we're not going to try to toss this out anymore. So let's talk about the other things that happened, like the other accusations he's had either before the scandal and after the scandal. I feel like some of those pages. (laughs) Yeah. So pre-scandal, on October 17th, 2006, gay rights activist Michael Rogers reported on sexual liaisons between U.S. Senator Larry Craig and, and unnamed individuals in Washington, D.C.'s Union Station. Mm. Rogers uncovered a news story from 1982 that tied Greg to a sex and drug scandal in the U.S. Congress. That's the one with the pages. Yes. He also reported on more at recent activity in various places throughout the nation. And Rogers' report re- prompted Craig to issue um, a denial. So... Before he was even caught in the bathroom in August or June of 2007, this report came out a year before. Oh. You know, so he had already been accused in 1982. He had been, this report of uh, this other guy who was like outing, this guy, Rogers, he outs um, in the closet elected officials, mostly Republicans, not so many Democrats, but there are Democrats, but most, he outs them. So we're going to talk about that, but- 
Okay. He was one of them that he did this to. Right. And is he doing it because this is someone who is probably moving forward with anti-gay Absolutely. legislation? Girl, and yes. And then you're doing the, the hypocrisy of it. Absolutely. Yes. Which we are going to get into. Okay. So, because I'm not really up for outing people. I'm not here, I'm not here for that. Right. But, but if you're going to put yes. laws forward that are going to harm people. That's right. And that's a different story. Absolutely. That's a different story. So after the two, 2007 conviction came to light, the Idaho Statesman, which is their paper, which went after him like a motherfucker, like went after this guy, right? Mm. Published a story um, on August 28th, 2007, this like right before he did have that press conference about three allegations involving Craig's sexual conduct. A college, so the first one was a college student who was considering pledging at Craig's fraternity at the University of Idaho in 1967, told a reporter at the Idaho Statesman that Craig led the student to his bedroom and, quote, made what the man said he took to be an invitation to sex, end quote. In the second reported incident, a man who identified himself as gay told a reporter that Craig cruised him at the REI store in Boise in November 1994, following him around the store for an hour and a half. The last reported incident in the Idaho statesman about Craig's conduct came a 40-year-old man with close ties to Republican officials. According to the man's story about the encounter with Craig, the man, quote, reported having oral sex with Craig at Washington Union Station probably in 2004, end quote. A reporter for the Idaho statesman interviewed Craig on August 28, 2007, regarding the allegations and his conduct. And in response, in response to the reporter's questions, Craig said, quote, I am, I'm not gay, and I don't cruise, and I don't hit on men. I don't go around anywhere hitting on men. And by God, if I did, I wouldn't do it in Boise, Idaho. Jiminy. Oh, End my quote. God. Jiminy. Oh, my. So <laughs> the, he likes uh, the, the public spaces, I guess, because it's sort of discreet. And I think, I mean, there's so much but to get he, into here. Yeah. Oh. But I think it's also because it's... Um, it's, and it's, just it's, it's slightly naughty yes. and dirty and, yes. and kind of, you know, he doesn't, there's, because of his age, uh, I watched this whole movie, I'll, I'll talk about it, but I, I watched this whole movie last night about uh, outing these, these people and outing elected officials. And because of how old he was, uh, there's a certain generational thing that yeah. you're, t- you know, you kind of have to, you're under, you have this understanding that you have to cover up who you are. Yeah. And so he probably doesn't even think he is gay. He probably oh, doesn't think God. he is. You know what I mean? There's this whole psychological thing happening yeah. where he does these things on the side, but he doesn't really, you know what I mean? He doesn't think of it in that way and will never admit to it because then he'd have to admit to who he is and yes. like all of these other things that happen. I mean, it's so sad. And knows it's, it's and so in his sad. head, it's dirty, it's bad. And all, so yes. that's why he does it over here. Right. right. Oh. Um, okay. On February 13th, 2008, the... <laughs> The Senate Ethics Committee sent a letter to Craig stating that his improper conduct uh, reflected discredible on the United States Senate. The committee held that Craig had indeed committed the actions for which he had pleaded guilty and that his efforts to withdraw his guilty plea were intended to evade the repercussions of his actions. Absolutely, Mm. 100%. Noting that Craig had taped uh, tapped campaign funds to spend $213,000 for legal fees and public relation <gasps> fees on the case. Oh, no, no, the com- no, no, Yeah, no. the committee argued that, his, that this showed his disregard of ethics. Campaign funds may only pay legal bills when the, they are related to the Senate's offic- senator's official duties. Yeah, no, that, this is a whole separate a whole other personal side. thing. Yeah, yep. no. So on June, 12th, uh, June 2012, the Federal Elections Commission sued Craig for repayment of $217,000 of campaign funds plus fines 
of $6,500 with the, from the former Senator and his treasurer, Kay O'Reiden. Wow. Craig used the money to pay for his defense in the case. And in March, 2013, the court found quote expenditures for legal fees and quote unqualified as ordinary and necessary expenses in connection with Mr. Craig's duties as a federal office holder and irrespective of his duties as an office holder. Craig appealed to the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, Columbia Circuit. And on March 4th, 2016, the Court of Appeals upheld the lower court ruling and ordered Craig to pay the $242,000 to the I United mean, States Treasury yeah, Department. I mean, you, you can't use federal money for right. a personal right. crime that you committed that has nothing to do. Yes. I just don't understand people. I don't even understand how it, it was approved in the first place. I don't know. And those checks were written to begin with. There's never any oversight. Well, he probably feels like he's a victim. They're coming after me. I need to yeah. use this money. And the treasurer just like writes the money to him, like yeah. gives him the checks. I mean, yeah, he's a senator. So. Yeah. So as I referenced earlier, there's a 2009 movie called Outrage. It's a documentary and it talks about uh, closeted elected officials and how mm. they vote and how they, because they're in the closet and so self-hating uh, or trying to align with other people who want to hold the LGBT community down. So they like kind of stay on that side. So they're not outed, you know what I mean? They're not out in the spotlight. So um, anyway, he was one of the focuses of the movie along with a couple others that I'd love to talk about. But um, the film presents a narrative discussing the hypocrisy of people who are purported in the documentary should be closeted gay or bisexual politicians who promote anti-gay legislation. So, so here's where this, this is where, this is the crux of it all is where, He's in the closet and he's so in the closet that now as a powerful person, he can use his voting to distance himself from ever being outed and being gay or oh thought God. of in that it's way. Cause he's so, so terrible. It's terrible. But here's how, so here's how he voted for against his, all the anti-gay legislation. It's just shocking. Domestic partner benefits. He voted no in 1992 and in 1993 gays in the military. No, both, uh, no t- to two times in 1993, they tried to vote for this. He voted no both times gay marriage. He voted no in 1996 and in 2004 and in 2006. Oh my God. Uh, employment non-discrimination. He voted no in 1990, 1996, 2001. And in 1996, he was the deciding vote. <gasps> yeah. Hate crime protections. He voted no in 2000 twice and in 2001 and 2007. Oh and in the second year, the second uh, vote in 2007, or, I'm sorry, in 2000, because they voted twice, he was the deciding vote I on mean, that one. It, it, what a horrible person. Yeah. In HIV AIDS support. He voted no in 1993 times. He voted twice um, in 1991. He voted no twice. In 1992, no. 1993, no. 1995, no. Twice. In 2001, no. In 2007, no. 12 times in total, he voted no against HIV and AIDS support. Wow, that it's so so I mean, it's the votes that because yes. he's this powerful position. I don't position. You want to be in the closet? Good for you. Go be in the fucking right. closet. Go get married. You have your private life. Go live your fucking right. hell that you have in your head somewhere else. But, but if you are elected, yes, and you're and you're using other your power, it is the votes that are harming the entire community. Oh and this evidence God. that you're gay and you're denying it. So your hypocrisy and you're living this lie. You're denying rights to gay Americans and you're using your votes to deny HIV AIDS support. That's actually fucking killing people you know what i mean actually killing people because of how you how much you want to be in the closet 
Yes. It's absolutely. So, so when we talk about outing, like the movie, I was like uncomfortable. No, I'm like, Oh, should we out no. people? But it's the hypocrisy of it all. This is different. Absolutely. This is someone who is, it, it's really a, almost just a, a direct, a, he's directly attacking a community yes. of people Yeah, because he is so afraid right. of who he is. Yeah. And I, I want to sympathize with someone who is afraid and, and feels like they can't yes. come out. That's one thing. But what he has done is, is so incredibly awful. Yeah. And like you said, it's that, it's such a level of hypocrisy. That's it's, oh my God, it's like beyond reproach. I don't even know. I know. And it's sad. So when you watch this movie, it's such a great movie, but they, they talk about, um, some of them that actually did get outed by this guy, Rogers, um, it was it was almost like like even with Jim McGreevy, who is the 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 governor of New Jersey, they interview him in it, and it's almost like he's like forty years got lifted off of me of like pain of trying to cover up who I was. Yes. Some of the guys came out because they were threatened that they were going to be outed. They ended up coming out. They got reelected, and then guess what? One of them from Arizona ended up voting against DOMA, like voting against the Defense of Marriage Act, like actually got up there and was like, there's no reason for this as a Republican. You know, like he got up because he was finally able yeah. to say, this is who I am, Yes, you know? But this guy is so far in the closet and refusing and, to like come out or, you know, it, just, just, just what, what he must imagine will happen when that, yes. when he comes out. It's, it's sad on one end and the other end. Don't then don't go into politics where you don't can actually harm people. Right. Don't go into politics. And it's just the other thing is I think this like divisive, you know, we talk about it like with with, um, you know, with, with gun control that like yeah. if someone is a Democrat, like there's this expectation they have to like check a certain box. Right. And the same thing on the other side that within the Republican Party, like if you want to hold on to certain, you know, quote, conservative conservative values, mm-hmm. but um, still want to be, you, you could be right. both and that the party should allow, right. They should allow that. And you have to think about and, when, and it. I feel like it could, if, if those, if all of these restrictions could be lifted, it could pull mm-hmm. both groups a yeah. little closer together on certain issues. Right. You know, this shouldn't even this be, shouldn't an, be issue. an issue. No way. You know, and, and, you know, in the movie, they talk about how marriage equality it was like a gift that was given to Carl Rove for this reelection of George W. You know, he, we were in Iraq, we were in Iraq going in there and I will never forget George W. Bush doing a press conference where he's like, marriage is important between a man and a woman. And we have to make sure that that's a constitutional amendment. And and I'm like, what the fuck? You're sending troops overseas, motherfucker. Right. And it became a thing. And he became a thing here in Florida. Where there was Amendment 2, I'll never forget. They started showing commercials in this movie, and I was like, oh, my God. Meanwhile, who was sitting in our governor's mansion? Charlie in the closet, Christ. Mm-hmm. Another one who's in this movie all over the fucking place, by the way. Yeah. Gonna gonna cover that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I will be covering Charlie Christ and uh, his bullshit. And I want to have Bob Norman in here. Okay? Let's do it. I need to have Let's Bob Norman on the podcast. Let's talk about Charlie Chris. Let's talk Let's about do it. He uncovered all of that. It was amazing. He's Let's in do the movie. It. It's that so would be good. Great. But when you have a governor in the closet who then supported that amendment too and absolutely could have stopped it as our governor, yes. but he supported it, it passed. <laughs> God. To prop up a shitty president, to yes. prop up a shitty governor. It's, it's, it's And for what reason? And Tell it's me what. Really? And it's I like it's the base is such a small 
amount of, you know what I mean? Percentage wise of people that are driving these antiquated ideas. But it's this thing of like, like, the commercials were crazy. It had like a woman's hand reaching out for a man's hand and then they touched and then the little baby's hand came up and it was like the family. And then it said like God above it. It was like, this is what we're protecting. The gays are coming for you. They're coming for your marriage. They're going to rip those hands apart. What does it say about your marriage, Tina? If two men can get married. Absolutely fucking nothing. It says nothing about it. It says nothing. But to these these very small-minded people it's everything god yeah let it go why do you care what other people do um just just stay out of people's bedrooms Mm -hmm. stay out of women's vaginas yes like just please get out of my vagina (laughs) (laughs) everyone get Uh, out it's 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 beyond frustrating fetch the bolt cutters oh (laughs) i love that circling back Uh, uh, yeah, that was I, I think that Fiona Apple is going, I'm bringing it back to, cause I'm, yes. I'm just, I love her right now. If I could see, I could put her on a throne and worship her feet. I would do it. Okay. But she's bringing me back to my teenage oh. angst, bitch. I'm back in it. I'm back in it. <sighs> I remember, I remember when, when she first came out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I remember that fantastic, that, I don't, do you the, video? the video. Yes. yes. When she was in that hot tub. Yes. I'll never forget Sandra Bernhard saying, honey, get out of that dirty water. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I loved it so much. I love that so oh much. Oh my gosh. But Fiona Apple is a fucking force and she's so gorge and she wears no makeup in any of these pictures. She looks uh, like a 42 year old beauty queen. I love her. Her eyes. She don't give a fuck. I know. Girl. I'm 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 worshiping her at this point. I can't take it. Well, I can't wait to listen to the rest of that oh my album. God. You're gonna love it. That's maybe that's what I'll do today. I'll She's like outside. the most beautiful weirdo ever. Yay! I love her. Oh uh, well, this was great. Awesome. Thank you. 18 yes. in the bag. Yes, we're almost to 20. Ooh, what should we do for 20? Should we do like a know. super special? Maybe we can do like a super special case together or something crazy. Ooh, we'll have to think of it. We'll have, we'll have to, think to think of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dang. All right. <sighs> All right. So, you know. Enjoy the quarantine. Yeah. Have a good time. <laughs> I hope your toilets don't back up again. Oh, God. Please, please. It's not a fun mess. The only clean. thing I want coming up out of my toilet is like Slimer from Ghostbusters, like his <laughs> mouthful of hot dogs. And I'll be like, okay, we're good. Yeah, this was I'm not good. That. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the slimer part we might have to sell the house but i'm gonna the like slimer part <laughs> yeah. i'd rather live with a ghost coming out than than shit coming out yeah. of my <laughs> it was oh jesus girl please i'm so sorry yeah i went on like a massive cleaning spree though and like i just because nice. for some reason with the quarantine my house is dirtier than when i'm working mm. My house is always dirty. Alfredo <laughs> said, Alfredo went on a cleaning spree. He said he cleaned every single one of his blinds and like vacuumed it and like wiped it down. And he's like, I have nothing else to do. I'm like, well, you we can come over and clean my house yes. if you want to, because uh, I need my house to be clean. I know. I know. All right. So next week, yep. we'll see you. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty. <laughs>